we may think that somebody is making a purchasing decision based on who's cheapest. And that's not always true. Price isn't always the main deciding factor. So if you see somebody getting work that maybe used to be your client and all of a sudden now they're getting that job, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're getting it because they're charging less. They might offer a different service. They might have a different relationship with that person. It doesn't mean that they've charged less than you. Being a circus boss is all about being confident on and off stage. It's about you living more of those powerful moments when time stands still and your audience is captivated and connected and everything feels right in the world. Welcome to the Circus Boss Podcast. This is the space where we talk about all things business and marketing related to circus so you can make those big dreams happen. We're your co-hosts, Brock and Eileen, and we help circus performers and producers manage your business with ease so you can spend more time on the flying trapeze. So if you're a circus boss that's ready for more, hit subscribe and join us every week. Your audience awaits. Hey you, welcome. So this is part two of our series about undercutting. So episode one, our very first podcast episode ever was about how to avoid undercutting. So if you are a performer and you are doing gig work and you want to make sure that you're not undercutting, like maybe you're new to the concept of rates and how this all works, go check out that episode for sure. This episode is actually the other side of the coin So if you are an established performer or even a company and you encounter what you feel like might be somebody undercutting you, how do you handle that? So we're going to talk about the concept of undercutting and like different strategies on how to handle that. So make sure you stick around all the way to the end because my very favorite point I'm going to talk about in the end of like how we can actually coexist for those performers that do perform with a company and perhaps book their own work, I have some really great strategies and advice on ways that we can all coexist better. So why are we talking about undercutting two episodes in a row? Well, for frame of reference, depending on when you're listening to this, we are just emerging from the pandemic and events and live performances are starting to come back. And the concept of undercutting is not new. We've heard people talk about it for years, but I really hear it coming up more and more now. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly why, but I have heard people say that they've been offered work at lower pay, like lower event budgets, lower gig pay. And I just think that's completely unacceptable because we need to be raising our rates now to recoup some of what we've lost. But then I also think the flip side of it is that performers might be excited to get back to work because we haven't been doing what we love for a while. So hopefully that's not happening. Hopefully that is just hearsay because I don't have firsthand experience. But anyways, that's why we are talking about undercutting to help you all navigate these waters. Yeah, that's so true. And that's why we're really passionate about this right now, because people I think there is a lot of fear there. There is a lot of frustration, and that makes this the perfect time to talk about this topic. But I like to start with talking about why people might feel like they're being undercut. 
You know, that's so true. I think we do need to start there because sometimes it's actually not even happening. So that's my first question. Is it true? Is it really happening? What led you to believe that somebody was undercutting? I found out many years ago um, that there was somebody that had been telling all these people that they were mad at me because I was undercutting. And I was like, what? I actually knew for, well, I didn't know for a fact, but another event planner had told me that that person charged a lot less than I did, but then they thought I was undercutting. I was like, wait, this is confusing. So you don't really know if someone is undercutting unless you are having a conversation directly with them or if you've seen their prices because an event planner or a client or somebody that's purchasing, they might be making it up. They might be telling you, oh, well, I got it. I can get it from less from this performer over here just to try to bargain you down. Mm-hmm. Right. So first you have to know, is it real? And then also I was trying to figure out, like, why did this person think that I was undercutting them when to my knowledge, I actually wasn't. I was actually charging more. And sometimes we may think that somebody is making a purchasing decision based on who's cheapest And that's not always true. Price isn't always the main deciding factor. So if you see somebody getting work that maybe used to be your client and all of a sudden now they're getting that job, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're getting it because they're charging less. They might offer a different service. They might have a different relationship with that person. They might have a a different type of music. There's something about the preference or the relationship or how they presented themselves that helped them get that job. It doesn't mean that they've charged less than you. So I just like to start with that mindset of, do you actually know that it is undercutting? Like before you jump to that conclusion, because I've been there a couple of times and realized it was assumed that I was undercharging, but I actually wasn't. And I think that point, that word in particular, assume, right? A lot of times I think that this can come up when we're making assumptions. I think that's a great place to pause and reflect also about why you might feel threatened, right? Because that's, I think, where, where this is coming from a lot of times. There's a, there is a feeling of fear. There's a feeling of threat, And as you and I were talking, we talked about some really great ways that people can kind of reflect on themselves to really analyze, you know, where this fear or where this feeling of threat might be coming from. And and a big one that you and I've talked about that we've experienced is looking at your own finances and your own pricing. Because the times like when you and I were running our entertainment company, the times that we felt feelings of fear, feelings of threat were times when, you know, we were feeling like we had worked hard to build something and maybe we were afraid that other people were going to be charging a lot less than we were and that that would affect our ability to do work. So there was this underlying level of fear that was there. A lot of times that was because we needed to look at our own business. We needed to kind of shore up something there, whether it was finances or the way that you're communicating and marketing. You know, if you have all your ducks in a row, then that can really help alleviate and dispel a lot of fear or any feelings of threat that you might have. And this is one of the big reasons that um, we've been talking about money a lot lately. And I think that is 
part in circumstance because we've just been through this pandemic. But if we can be in a point where we have more savings built up, you know, we have our finances in order, then that gives you leeway to feel more abundant, to feel more secure. And so you kind of step out of that scarcity mindset into more of an abundance mindset and things stop being so fearful and being so threatening. Because look, everybody deals with this. There are new caterers that start businesses all the time. There are new AV companies that start businesses. No one starting a business should be a reason for you to be fearful and threatened, right? There's space for everyone to coexist, which we're going to talk about a little bit more later. But I I love that you brought up the scarcity mindset and the abundance mindset, because this is something that's been really big for me. I'm I'm you can call me woo woo. I'm into the the manifestation. I'm into the mindset stuff. I'm into the mantras, the affirmations. However, I think because I'm so into them, there have been times in my life where I felt like I must not be doing the affirmations right. I must not be doing the abundance mindset right because I'm not making ends meet. I must be therefore I must be thinking wrong because I was so believing that the mantras and the affirmation and the and and having this abundance mindset was what I needed. Mm-hmm. And yes, but if you don't have your finances in order, if you don't have 6 to 9 months in savings, if you don't have a regular way to check your budget and make sure you're meeting your goals, then it doesn't matter how much you think. You like you've got to have both. And and that was that's where that that threat of like, I hear you, you know, it's like, you can't just say, oh, yes, there's work for everybody. And I'm fine. And I have abundance mindset. But then if you secretly do feel threatened, I just want you to know, it's not because you're not good enough at thinking abundance mindset that like, if you do feel the scarcity mindset, I just want you to know that it's okay. You're not wrong for thinking that. And I've been there personally. And when I was there, I was like, why? Why do I feel this? And it was because I looked at my finances and I didn't have enough in savings. I didn't, my pricing wasn't high enough to really reflect what it needed to for my business. So I just, I I love that you shared that. And I had to like get on a little soapbox there because if you do feel the threat of somebody undercutting you, sometimes if you can just pause and like take that as a moment to look within and to look at your business, there might be a reason why you feel like you're on shaky ground. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Because, you know, the thoughts are important, but a lot of times the thoughts come from like the circumstances that we're living in. So the circumstances that surround you and your business are shaping the way that you think about your business, which shapes the way that you feel about your business, which then shapes the way that you act about your business. So it's this circular loop and, and the act shapes your circumstances so it's Mm -hmm. it's like this loop so you kind of have to do work on all points but working to change the circumstances is kind of in in my mind goes hand in hand with shifting your thinking about things because it's all about perspective it is and you know perspective not only is it your personal perspective on your situation but back to the concept of wondering are they actually undercutting me is maybe they're charging less because they're targeting a different market. Mm. Or maybe they offer a different level of service. Maybe they're, you know, like the difference between somebody that says, this is my act, 
this is the music, this is the costume, this is how long, this is the thing that I sell versus somebody that's going to go and customize an act. That's a different price because that's a different level of service. You've got creativity and conceptualization happening in addition to delivering the act. So the perspective part of it is like understanding if you do see somebody charging a different price, you know, they might also be charging a lower rate because they're offering less or they're targeting a different market. And we right. do have an idea. If you do encounter this, we do have an idea later on in the podcast when we talk about how to handle these situations. You know, an- another thing that came came to mind when we were talking about this topic, there was something that I used to talk with, you know, more of my senior project managers when I was in the consulting world. And we were talking about why clients make decisions. And it was understanding that people make decisions or they purchase for different reasons. So one of my senior project managers broke it down for me this way. He said, you can, a client can either have fast, cheap, or good, but they can only have two of those things. You can't have all three. You can't have all three, right? So if it's fast and good, it's probably not going to be cheap. Right, right. Right. So that's just an example. So people, people have different needs. They have different styles, the, the people who are purchasing. And so we just have to keep that into perspective, too, is it's not always the, the dollar amount that's the deciding factor. And, you know, I've heard that triangle, too, but I've also heard it as you can have one or two, but not three. Because mm. you can have good that's not fast. That's true. You know, like maybe it takes a long time to develop and it's and it's good, right? So, yeah, I, I always heard you can have one of those, but not all three. So it's fast, cheap, or good. That just helps drive home the, the point that it's really important when you're, when you come across these feelings of being undercut to look deeper into why you're feeling that way. And so next, I really want to talk about the concept of how to come from compassion, right? Right. And I think it's important to take a step back and just do even more mental preparation so that when you are making a decision about how to handle the situation, you're actually doing it in a way that that's productive and not destructive. Right, right. Yeah. Because again, it's easy to feel threatened or angry or combative or defensive. Those are all natural reactions And we've all felt that way. So if you do feel that way when this comes up, there's nothing wrong with that. And what you want to do is acknowledge those feelings like you shouldn't and you can't a lot of times just stuff them away. They're going to come up. But ultimately, if you're choosing to make a decision or have a conversation from a place where you feel threatened or angry, it's probably not going to go that well. And it's going to make it really hard for you to deal with that in a way that actually brings about a result that is beneficial to you and the other person. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe you don't have any of these problems with, you know, feeling threatened or angry or defensiveness. You're talking to, we're two Scorpios right here. So we, (laughs) (laughs) we feel, we feel deeply and we feel all of the emotions. So, you know, I've met people that don't really, that say they don't really have these things. So if, if that's you, I honor you. And I think that's amazing. And, uh, you know, we're just speaking from a place of two Scorpios that have that we feel all the things. So we learn how to feel it and recognize it and name it and then try to do something to let it move through. So that's where this section comes from. And just 
perspective is what helps us. We're coming back to that word again. So just some tips to think about if you do think you're encountering this before you start to address it, just to think about a few things. First, just to think about if somebody is undercharging, where it might be coming from. It is really hard to get information on rates in this industry. Mm. We're working really hard to make that easier and better, but it is hard to get information of what you should be charging. It's hard to understand the market, all the different options of the people that hire you and what roles they play and all the different types of jobs that exist. And also it's hard to understand the expenses when you're first starting out. So sometimes somebody undercharging is just lack of information or a lack of understanding. Sometimes people might enter now specifically right now we're talking about like gig work because some people might see doing gigs or booking their own gigs as a performing opportunity. I'm really passionate about explaining the difference that it's actually not a performing opportunity. That's what you can do like at schools and shows and community theaters and competitions. Those are performing opportunities. But gig work is actually providing a service to a client. And so it's it's a business transaction. Mm-hmm. So I think that gets confused at the beginning. People get excited about a performing opportunity thinking that that's what a gig is, but it's actually work and a job. Way more work. Yeah. And then also a, another big one is not understanding the difference in your rates when you are booking directly with a client or booking directly with an event planner versus when you're getting hired by or working for an entertainment company or an agency. Those should be completely different rates too. So if somebody is working for an entertainment company and they get paid a certain rate and then they go charge that to a client, that can drive down the market or that that can be a version of undercutting. So just knowing some of these reasons of how undercharging or undercutting might be happening It's not always intentional. It's not like people are out to get you or out to get someone else or out to be selfish. It just kind of happens. Right. And I think that's where it's important to step into someone else's shoes for a a moment. So these are all really great points to help you do that. I'll also mention that you can go back to episode one where we talk about how to avoid undercutting if you're newer to gig work or... Well, we even talked about you can use that if you are an experienced performer and you want to mentor someone. We talked about different ways to help somebody avoid undercutting there too. And the big point here, before you act, before you have a conversation with somebody about this, before you decide what to do, to come from a place of compassion and try to put yourself in their place. Well said. Yes, let's try to come from compassion. And now that you're coming from a place of compassion, the next step is you're moving into the what do you do if you encounter someone undercharging or undercutting? Absolutely. So I would like to say, let's call this section, start having conversations. Mm -hmm. You have to. I mean, you have to. We have to start talking about it. We're talking about it here on our podcast. And we want you to start making it a two-way conversation with people if you encounter this. So first, I kind of have a little bit of different advice depending on your unique situation. So first, I want to speak to you if you are booking events directly with clients or booking events directly with event planners. So if you encounter undercutting or what you think that is, you're assuming that it's undercutting, I want to say first, worry about you. Right? And so the reason I'm saying that is if you are communicating your value correctly through your marketing, through your client service, through always over delivering. 
if you are strengthening your relationships, so having, you know, repeat clients, having a referral network and, and really creating relationships with the people that you're working with. If your marketing shows why you are unique and it tells your story and tells who you are, all of these things can start to make price irrelevant. Maybe not irrelevant, but not the deciding factor. Right. Right. So you get it just if you focus on these things first, then you don't have to be worried about somebody that's charging less because it's actually going to make them look questionable because you're like you're communicating your value. You have these solid relationships. Your marketing shows why you're awesome. And that is reflected in your rates. So that's what I like to say is starting with making sure you've got all of your all of your ducks in a row, all you know, all of your focus on you first, right? And I have a really, really interesting story here that I kind of forgot about that this was the origin story of a company that we worked with for many years. But I was new in Seattle, I had just moved there. And I had put a proposal in to a client that was looking for aerialists. And she actually called me. And it caught me really off guard. I was not expecting this phone call. She called me. And the first thing that she said was like, why do you charge so much? There's this other person that's charging me the same price that you are for two aerialists for three sets. And you're charging me this price for one aerialist for one set. So there was a major discrepancy in pricing here. And I was just like, uh, (laughs) like my, my face turned bright red. And I mean, at that point in time, I was kind of newer in my business. I didn't have like sales objections and price objections worked out like we did later on in the business, um, which we actually, by the way, help people work out sales objections for these awkward moments on phone calls in our membership. Anyways, a side note there. But at that point in time, I didn't have these things worked out. So I honestly don't even remember what I said to her. I fumbled through something. My face was beat red. I felt so put on the spot. But whatever I said because I was somehow able to communicate my value and why my rates were what they were, she heard me and she hired me. It didn't matter that I was charging more than double than another person. She hired me. And that was the beginning of a seven-year relationship with a company that we did a high volume of events with. I would say one of the companies that we made the most money with for seven years because I made it through that conversation, I communicated my value, she went with us. She didn't hire the other person that was charging less. So Mm -hmm. that's just to kind of reiterate, like learning how to communicate your value, making sure you're strengthening relationships and making sure your marketing is telling your story and showing how you are unique. This whole topic that you've brought up, what comes to mind for me is that you're the only person that you can ultimately change. Your business is the only business that you can ultimately work on. Right. You know, we're, we're about to, we're talking about the what ifs and what to do's, but you're the only person at the end of the day that you have control over. So starting there is always the best place to start. I mean, and they always say like, you know, having other people in your field actually makes you be better. It does. Right. Because then you, you have to hone in and double down on like, okay, well, why am I charging this much? And what makes, what makes me unique? You know, Exactly. And so now we've kind of, you you shared that story that I think communicated why communicating your value is so important. But I also know that you have experience with having those tough conversations with people who you knew were undercharging as well. So maybe you could just talk a little bit about 
an example of how that went for you and any insights from that? Yeah, I, I actually have two examples um, where I started having these conversations. And um, one of them was I found somebody that was um, in a similar market and similar audience and, you know, offering similar services and was charging about half of what I was for, for one of our services. And I, I came from a place of compassion as much as I could and just saw it as like they just didn't understand the market. And they didn't reach out to me, but I reached out to them and had a coffee date with them. And I, again, fumbled through awkward, uncomfortable words because this was hard for me to do. But I, I made it a point to say, hey, you know, like, I don't know if you realize this, but you're charging half of what I charge for something. And clients are used to paying this rate in, in this service area. I think you should be charging more. And then she, her face got beat red because she didn't know. And she was like, oh, my God, thank you. You know, like who doesn't want to be charging more? Right. Right. I think we all charge less because we're in some like imaginary reality where we think if we charge more, we won't get work. And spoiler alert, that's not true. It's not true. (laughs) You know, she thanked me for that. So it was awkward. I ponied up. I came from compassion as best as I could. And I think the conversation went well and she thanked me for it and she raised her rates. So do it. Don't think it's malicious, you know, like reach out, be the bigger person, right? Um, And then there's another area where I have experiences of having these conversations. And this is a tip I was referring to earlier on. If you do find somebody that's charging less and they are in a different market, they are providing a different level of service, you can use this as a chance to set up a referral network. So for example, we partnered with an organization that had professional level performers that they just booked their act. Like, this is my professional act. This is the costume. This is the music. This is what I do. And that was what they sold. Whereas, again, I mentioned earlier, you know, we got into like conceptual and customization and creativity and costumes. And also we would help advise a planner on or a client like based on their event flow and their event goals, which act is going to be the right one. So at that point, they're also paying for our creativity. They're paying for our expertise. They're paying for more than just the act. In addition to the fact that we'll costume it and customize it and do all these things. So clearly those are two different price points. Well, not everyone wants all of that. And so we established this great referral network where it was fine that this organization was charging less because they were offering less. So if they got a call and somebody was like, it's winter wonderland and I want, you know, fairies dripping from the ceiling. And do you have any LED costumes and can you customize with our live orchestra? They were like, "Okay, hold on, hold on. You need to call animate objects. This is who you need to call because that's what they do, right? And conversely, if somebody would call me and say like, we just want to know, we want three acts. What do you have? We're going to organize it all. There's no theme. It's just a, you know, cabaret style performance. I could say, oh, great. Here's who you should call, you know? So we, we were this referral network because we were clear on the level of service that what we were offering was different. So yes, we had different rates because we offered a different service in addition to the act. Wow, those are really great tips, and those are really great examples of how you can take a situation that might seem really scary and that you might dread and completely turn that around. So that's another point to all of this is there's always opportunity, right? 
leave yourself open to opportunity. I'm not going to say I was perfect. Like there were definitely times I didn't have the conversation. I was scared to, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and there were different times that I probably didn't come from a place of compassion. Like I'm human and I'm a Scorpio. (laughs) (laughs) But I just shared those two examples of times that it did go successfully because most of the time people want to make this work together. We all want to coexist in this. Um, the, in episode one, Brock had a really beautiful analogy of a farmer's market, how we're all in the market together in our little farmer's stalls next door to each other. We're all, we all benefit. We all benefit from this market together. So we want to know each other and help each other. And I think a lot of what is true in the first scenario that you laid out where somebody might be booking events directly with clients or event planners is also true if you're a performer who works for an entertainment company or agency. And let's say you you feel like you're being underpaid or you want to ask for a higher rate, but you know that there are like 10 people behind you who are just going to take the lower paying gig if you don't say yes to it. So a a lot of these same points are true. If you're in that situation, if you are a performer who's working for an entertainment company or or an agency, and you want to have that conversation, the points are the same. You start with communicating. So you want to talk to the company or the agency first, always start with them first. And you're going to do the same thing. It's about communicating your value. Why do you feel that you deserve a higher rate? What do you bring to the table that really helps them as a company? And then maybe the other thing that you can do is share a breakdown of your financial reality. Because a lot of times things are flying a mile a minute when you run an entertainment company. And again, it may not be malicious. They may just, they may not be thinking about what exactly you make when, when you break that down. That's a, a great place to start is just have that conversation with them. I agree. I mean, I I imagine there are some people that don't view their performers with the level of care and respect and that they should. But I, from personal experience, can say that this is, it's a tough job running a company and you're looking at the other budget numbers. You're looking at like the numbers that you get from your clients and how to make your company sustainable. And so if you are a performer, if you could come from compassion (laughs) and, you know, bring that breakdown. They don't know how many jobs you have. They don't know how often you work. It's too hard to track. So they might not realize that the pay that they're giving you for that one night is like not at all what you need to be living where you live. So if you can break down what that turns out to be hourly pay, if you're like, hey, I just wanted to show you all the training that I do for this event and, you know, the rehearsals and everything leading up to being here. And then after the event, it actually comes out to only $11 an hour. And I really know that I deserve more than that. And I want to continue working with you. What flexibility do you have? How can we raise that rate? You know, is, are there things that you can add as a performer to add value? I, I, you know, I'm not sure what the, the answer would be here. But the point is to have that conversation because they don't necessarily see it from your financial standpoint. And then I just want to echo what you said, Brock, about communicating your value. Again, from my perspective of being the, the company owner, if, if you as a performer can communicate to me your value and what's unique about your act, do you combine two, diff- two different skills? Have you won awards? You know, if you can communicate these things to me, that can help me sell it better to a client at a higher price. Because mm-hmm. to raise your rate, I have to be able to raise the price that I charge to the client. And so if you help me learn to, what words to use to sell how awesome your unique thing is, 
or maybe not even unique. It's just you've done this for a while. Then you're communicating to me the value that you bring to as a team player. Like there's just so much there that if you bring those things to the table, I think that would be a great place to start to help you get a higher rate. And what you said is true too. You're framing it from the perspective of how you are mutually benefiting each other, right? It's not all about you, 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 money, money, money. You've opened the door to having a conversation where there's give and take. And so you have your conversation with the company or agency and it hopefully will go well. But the other side of that is what Brock mentioned about tens of perform, however, tens of many performers that are lined up behind you that would happily take that gig at a lower rate. I mean, it's kind of a nature of the biz. This is in showbiz. It's in so many industries. But I really, really recommend that you could either try to educate them yourself or mentor them or refer them to us. Tell them about our podcast. Tell them, follow us on Instagram. We have uh, the Circus Freelancer Gig Pay Guide to help them know their numbers. Because remember, it goes back to that come from compassion place. They're just eager to work and they don't know how much this costs. Like, you know, you first start working and you're like, yay, I'm getting paid for doing what I love. And then after a while, you're like, oh, crap, the taxes. I didn't save enough for taxes. And oh, my God, my fishnets and my eyelash glue and, you know, like all the things that go into doing what we do. There are expenses. The money that I get paid at that event, only a fraction of it actually goes into my pocket to pay me like there's all these other expenses right but you don't learn that until you've been doing it for a while so if you have any way to interact with students at schools or you know like just help educate mentor or refer them to us and we'll do that part for you rather than hating them rather than seeing them as a threat right and then this is the tip that I just wanted to talk about or the mindset at the very end that is just another thing to think about and understand how this works and another way to help the industry at large. So if you're a performer that performs for an entertainment company or an agency, and then you're like, okay, I'm not getting paid my worth or my value. I want to go out on my own. I want to book my own gigs. If you're charging a lower rate doing that, I mean, it'll be more than you would get paid with them, but it's still not up to the market rate of what they're charging. The more that you do that, the more, the harder it makes them be able to raise their prices, right? So let me try to say this a different way. For an entertainment company or an agency to be able to pay their performers a living wage, that means they have to charge a much higher price to cover all of the costs from producing the event and then all of the costs from running their business, even if there are no events. So they're marking up and are adding on a percentage quite large onto your rates. So if you break out on your own and then you're offering your pay at like half of what they're charging, it's harder for event planners to understand the difference. I mean, I talked about how to do that. If you're in that situation, communicate your value. But if there's anything that you can do to help the industry at large is charge as much as you can if you're going out on your own to direct clients and to event planners. So that that will keep the rates higher in the industry. Because if you start charging lower, again, it makes it harder for those companies and agencies to charge an ample rate for them to stay in business and then be able to pay performers a living respectable wage. Did it, does that make sense the way I kind of spelled that out? It's hard without like visuals and, you know, I'm a kinesthetic person. 
Yeah, I think that if we can, on an industry level, just bring everybody up to the point where they're actually charging a rate that's suitable for their market, I would hope that a lot of these issues would would not be talking points that we see on Facebook forums and hear people talk about in dressing rooms all the time, you know, because we we should be able to focus on doing what we love and that's performing and not having to worry about rates as much as we do. And I know this also sounds like a nebulous conversation because we're talking like don't undercharge and what to do when you see it and my rates are this and charge more here and but we're not giving actual numbers because that's also really hard. <laughs> but we're working on that. We have a survey and depending on when you're listening to this, the survey might not even be released yet or we might have closed it and then therefore there will be results. But either way, uh, I invite you to check out circusboss.com slash survey. And we have a survey that we've just set up in all these different categories, different distinctions of who you're working for, what level, like what your skill is that you offer. Is it ambient or is it an act? And if it's a casual event, like more communities and parades and maybe nightclubs versus more formal events, which is going to be like high-end corporate events and luxury events and galas, it's all split up into all these different categories and there's ranges. So we may be able to say, okay, it's 50% of people are charging between $500 and $700 for this. And 80% of people are charging between $1,000 and $1,500 for this. So we're trying to get some ranges based on all these specifics. So if you want to join us in that, check it out. We'll put the, the link in the show notes, but it's circusboss.com survey. Because it's hard to talk about making sure you're respecting industry rates if you can't go find what the industry rates are. That's so true. So with undercutting, we've talked about lots of things today. But if you feel like that's happening, the best way that you can handle that is to first ask yourself why you're feeling that way. And then come from a place of compassion for the other person or company who might be undercharging or undercutting. And then start having conversations. And if you'd like to take it one step further, you can take this survey that Eileen just mentioned. Again, we'll have the link in the show notes. So those are all of our thoughts. And I'm sure as soon as we stop recording, we will have more thoughts on this topic. So you can always check us out on Instagram. We like to do Instagram lives and talk about all these fun things too. It's an ever-evolving conversation. These are just our perspectives based on our experience, based on our little slice of the gig economy event industry that we have worked in over 15 years. So if you agree or disagree, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your thoughts and let's keep the conversation going. So find us on Instagram at Circus Boss Official. And of course, if you enjoy the podcast, please hit subscribe and share it with your friends. And we hope to see you again next week. Bye.